This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. This Sunday kicked off the beginning of Advent. While this season is generally seen as a time of preparing to celebrate Christ's birth on Christmas, the focus historically was a time to focus on Jesus's second coming. The doctrine of Jesus's second coming has traditionally been a major focus of Christian theology. It has been a driving force for missions. It was a source of hope for suffering Christians. It has helped to frame Christian worship. American evangelicals in particular have been shaped by discussion of Jesus's return. Apocalyptic expectation helped to shape the early fundamentalist movement more than a hundred years ago. Baby boomer evangelism has been especially focused on the end times from Hal Lindsey's late great planet earth of the seventies to the left behind novels of the nineties. But it seems increasingly rare to us to hear about the second coming these days. We wanted to talk about why that might be and why a strong understanding of the second coming can serve us well as we navigate the pandemic and other crises. You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson, Editorial Director at Christianity Today. All right, Ted, this is something that you have felt passionate about. We've talked about it a couple times as a potential podcast topic, and now we are going to do it in this particular season of Advent. So let's hear your gut check. Yeah, we did. I think we talked about this a little bit on a worship-focused podcast earlier, just the change and how, how few new second coming-focused worship music there is these days. I've been thinking about that quite a bit. I love old gospel blues recordings. One of my favorites is Jesus is Coming Soon, which is a song that was written in about 1920. It starts off kind of classic. In the year of 1918, God sent a mighty disease, killing many a thousand on the land and on the seas. We've been told, and God has warned us, Jesus coming soon. We've been told, and God done warned us, Jesus coming soon. And the year of 1918, God sent a mighty disease. I love that song. And I've been thinking about, yeah, at times of pandemic, in times of war, in times of kind of crisis, you know, I think the political, political crises like we have these days. We have often seen kind of apocalyptic turns, at least uh, maybe not apocalyptic turns so much as kind of this hope for the return of Jesus uh, to come and make things right. And I'm like, man, I am just not hearing that this time. Like, where is that? You would expect it, and it's hardly there. And so I've just been wondering why that is. And I also have just been thinking about in this time of Advent, I've been going back and working on our this Advent devotional that we have put together rereading some Advent writings that I tend to go through this time of year, including uh, Fleming Rutledge's very good collection of sermons on this. 
and thinking, yeah, I should think more about Jesus coming back. I, I often pray, your kingdom come, but there's a kingdom focus there. And, you know, thinking about the person of Jesus returning as both judge and as ruler, something I wanted to explore more on the podcast today. How, how about you, Morgan? You, you didn't grow up with as much of the uh, apocalyptic Jesus second coming tinged culture as, as I did. My parents kind of grew up in the Jesus movement. So we had a lot of imminent rapture stuff growing up as I was growing up. I do remember the Left Behind books in the church library and reading the teen version of them. I did not read the original version of them. It was interesting when you were talking about music, I immediately started thinking, do I know any songs that kind of fit this criteria? And I had the lyrics for Andre Crouch's Soon and Very Soon stuck in my head. But I just bring all of that up to say that, yeah, this is something that I don't necessarily feel like has shaped a lot of how I understand my faith. It's something that I acknowledge. (laughs) Yeah, I say acknowledge, which I realize is kind of like a, a light word, but it's something I'm not actively thinking about. And I'm looking forward to doing this podcast because it's something that's not necessarily feeling like it's on my conscience, I guess, or my radar, my kind of my Christian radar right now. And I'm, yeah, I think it's going to be really good for us to do something to hopefully bring something on people's radar and to go into a place of hopefully deep learning for me. All right, Ted, who is our guest for this? Our guest today is Vince Baycoat. Vincent Baycoat is Associate Professor of Theology. He's Director of the Center for Applied Christian Ethics at Wheaton College. He has also been serving as Theology Advisor for Christianity Today over the last year. He's a contributor to our Advent devotional, Living Hope, which you can find on our website this week, and you can read a number of pieces he's written for us. He is also the author of a book releasing just this week from Brill Research titled Reckoning with Race and Performing the Good News in Search of a Better Evangelical Theology. So we are thrilled to have him on the podcast. Hello. Great to be with you. As you can tell, Ted and I are kind of in different places when it comes to talking about this topic. And in this kind of intro that I shared at the beginning, we alluded to the fact that, you know, the way that we're talking about this has really changed. I'm wondering what you have observed with regards to how we have been talking or not talking about the second coming of Christ. It's interesting to observe that the dominant narrative about Jesus' return or, and the events connected to it, it's shifted, I'd say, particularly since the late 80s, early 90s, maybe early aughts because of the influence of the Left Behind books. But even then, that I think it was already shifting. In fact, I think the Left Behind books existed because of trying to recapture what you might call the eschatological imagination. Because when I remember when I got out of college, and I was in Memphis, Tennessee, this is the late 80s, pretty much every preacher on the Christian radio station I listened to, almost all of them had something to say about end times rapture type stuff. At the time, I certainly thought that one of the most important things to get straight was your eschatology. When I went to seminary, I thought that that was, you had to figure out sort of where you stood with all of that. And there has been a change. I think part of that's because of people who predicted that the end is going to come and it didn't happen. Yeah, that that kind of disappointment shapes a lot of things kind of throughout history, right? You see it kind of in the early church where there's kind of an expectation that really it's going to happen any, like, you know, we probably won't die before we see it. 
And then there seems to be some kind of theological wrestling with that in the early church of, okay, we're talking about maybe a century's timeline, not a decade's timeline. There seems to then be kind of over and over in the church, you see like this fervor that then maybe as people get older, as people kind of hit, you know, their seven, their seventies and eighties and like, oh, I might die before this happens after all. There seems to be, I don't know, a frustration, but just a quietness uh, setting some of that apocalyptic fervor aside. I don't know. At least I, I see, I, I tend to see that in the baby boomers. Whereas I think with, with Xers and millennials, there seems to be a little bit, oh yeah, my parents were really focused on that. But there hasn't really been that period of that I've seen anyway, of an apocalyptic fervor among kind of generationally Xers, millennials, those, those kinds of things. I wonder if that kind of comes comes back around every few years? I think probably one of the biggest reasons can be associated with also why you had all the emerging church stuff, which is people, Xers, and then you know, millennials and, and Gen Z, they wanted to have a faith that was not just looking for Jesus to come back and then having a kind of dissonant relationship with caring about life in the present. And in a way, this coincides with what happens in the late 90s, where all of a sudden there seems to be an evangelical consensus about participation in politics and culture rather than suspicion toward politics and culture. So you get more of an emphasis of paying attention to the this-worldly dimensions of faith, not necessarily in ways that are deeply theologically argued, but certainly a sense that we ought to do it. And I think that then directs your attention more towards, oh, we ought to care about politics even more than just saying who to vote for, but paying more attention about even encouraging people to participate in politics. And what was happening with millennials, well, really Gen Zs and I guess early millennials, was saying we need to care as much about our personal piety as we do about things like poverty in the environment. And not just talking about abortion, for example, as a moral issue, but also poverty, the environment, and other political concerns as as things that warranted attention. If part of the argument that gets made, whether it was people doing the emerging church thing or not, was that we need to care about what's around us rather than just talking about believing what's right, having a kind of us-them type of mentality, and perhaps intensified by saying, you know, we... Uh, or us are the people who are waiting for Jesus to return or the rapture could happen at any moment. Instead saying, I want people to know that we are loving to everyone and that we care about what goes on in this world. And we're not ignoring this world because we think Jesus is about to come back at any moment. The tension with what I just said, though, is that from the late 90s until at least that first decade, you do have the explosion of the Left Behind novels. I think the irony is the Left Behind novels are interesting because people bought them, but not because all of a sudden you had such a repopulation of the of younger evangelicals thinking, this is exactly how I, I'm going to talk about my eschatology. It kind of came and went in a way. Yeah, it was almost, a, in some ways, a last, a last gasp of that. So Tim LaHaye was the mastermind behind it. Jerry Jenkins was right. the, the story-crafting guy. Part of it was an effort to repopularize a dispensational eschatology. Because LaHaye, I, I imagine, started to see it diminish in terms of its influence in the 80s, and it repopularized it enough for them to make you know tens of millions of dollars. But I don't know that you know for all the money that it's made that it has successfully you know had anywhere near the 
dominance in terms of the footprint of eschatology. I guess my question is, as someone who is, again, growing up in a place where it has been de-emphasized, like what have we lost by not having these types of conversations? You know, it does sound like, to Vince's point, other there was good stuff that was being emphasized when this kind of stepped back a little bit. So, yeah, Vince, what would you say has been left out or what what cost have we paid by not talking about this more? Well, I think part of the problem is the ways of talking about judgment because you know it's not a very popular thing to talk about. You know, no one wants to be put in the place of being the judgmental person. That I think among millennials and Gen Z people is I think a disposition where people have kind of an allergy to that. I don't want to be the person that's a hater. I don't want to be the person that people always think if you're talking about Christianity, you're talking about hellfire and brimstone. I want to talk about the love of God. I want people to know that Christians care about them rather than Christians say, I'm right, you're wrong. Too bad you're wrong. Enjoy burning while I enjoy you know, being here with Jesus. They don't want to do that. And I understand this. So I think some of that is a reaction to that and the perception that prior generations were more comfortable with that and wanting to put in relief an emphasis on the fact where Jesus does tell us to love our neighbors. Uh, and then I think also what happens is there are ways that the other cultural narratives positioned things where do you want to be known as the people that are always seeming like you're the one that wants to know what's right. And that gives you a reason to mistreat other people and to have a kind of judgmental posture, particularly a final judgment posture. And do you want to be those people? And do you want to keep making people feel bad? Do you want to be known for that? Do you want to be a bigot who does that? I think some of that is also a factor. Another factor, though, is that to the extent that you get the waning of the dominance of the dispensational narrative, people are having something that's more like an amillennial view. Well, generally, amillennialists aren't spending a lot of time talking about eschatology. So it's not a surprise because you go about life as it waxes and wanes. And yes, you know that the final judgment is what's going to happen. But in the meantime, you focus on your faithfulness in the present. Good and evil will wax and wane, do what the church is supposed to do, attend to mission, etc. To the extent that N.T. Wright becomes a very prominent figure, part of what he did was critique sort of the dispensational perspective and say, people need to stop talking about Christianity being about going to heaven when you die. And you need to think about people who are living like Christians, caring about the present. You get that piece. And then what you also get is a, a magnification of attention on questions like justification. And then, of course, what also winds up happening is certain ways that people are having these larger conversations about atonement, whether it's people dealing with the atonement and the question of violence, or whether it's dealing with the atonement and whether you need to magnify penal substitutionary atonement arguably to the obscuring of, of, of the other atonement metaphors. Those things took up a lot of bandwidth. And so taking up that bandwidth, I think, is part of what also sort of put the attention to the return of Jesus as something that everybody goes, well, yeah, we believe that. But right now we need to talk about this other stuff. And then, of course, there is one other factor. You do get things like Harold Camping, again, you know, in I think it was 2011, predicting that Jesus was going to come back on a particular date in May or June. There are these billboards all over the place, all over the country, people going around the country, placards and 
hats and stuff talking about the, that Jesus was coming back. And of course he didn't. Right. You have that em- embarrassment factor again, right? At the same time, I want to go back to something that you mentioned about kind of the rise of some of the, you know, some of the folks like N.T. Wright and also I think some of the political conversation. You do hear a, a fair bit right now about kingdom, kind of in some ways the evangelical embrace of some kind of kingdom language. It's interesting that you hear quite a bit of about, you know, especially in the Lord's Prayer, you know, God, your, your kingdom come on, on earth as it is in heaven. But you don't hear as much about kind of Jesus as reigning king, let alone kind of Jesus as judge. One thing I've been kind of thinking through, I'm an Anglican. We change creeds partway through the, uh, through the year, and because we're going on video, we've actually switched from the kind of longer Nicene Creed to the Apostles' Creed. And when you get to the second coming, those, those are kind of a little bit different. You know, the Nicene Creed, Nicene Creed has this section that says, Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. The Apostles' Creed kind of leaves off that last part and says, you know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. How do we think through Jesus, the person, the, the second coming of Jesus, the person, as returning as a judge and returning as reigning king? Yes, as in both. The, or I would say the king is the judge. You cannot escape all the language, you know, Philippians 2, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. You have Matthew 25, when, when he comes, you know, he's going to judge. There's going to be the sheep and the goats. There's lots of language about the judge coming. But of course, then there's then what happens afterwards. The reason for focusing on the king is that the judgment, on the one hand, Christians judge for what we do in this life, how we steward our life, and then, you know, do we, you know, does it all get burned up like wood, hay, stubble type of thing? Or, or you know, do we, or does it all come as nice, refined jewels? But then there's the great white throne judgment, particularly what we see in Revelation. When you get to that judgment, it's the final judgment. So it is a large moment, but a moment still, because there's the judgment and then there's the rest of the story. Or if you will, there's the end that is the beginning of, of ever after. We have to be aware of the fact that you can't avoid the language of judgment. But once that judgment occurs, Jesus doesn't stop being the same king who's righteous, etc. But what you now have is he reigns and those who are his worship him, live with him in, in, in new heavens and new earth, or as I like to say, the renewed heavens and earth, you know, and, th- and then you have eternity with him. He's judged to the extent that the standard for everything remains the same. Standard doesn't change. Him being judged doesn't mean, okay, now you get to do whatever you want. I don't care. To me, it makes sense to emphasize the king reigning forevermore. But I do think there is kind of allergy to wanting to talk too much a judgment because of, I think a lot of things actually. One is not wanting to be the people who are so sure you know who's going to hell. Second, I think there is the fact that there is, I mean, there's probably, there's always been people complaining in the history of the church about the dysfunctions of the church. 
But there are ways that things like social media have magnified people's complaints about the church and their deconstructions of ways of thinking about the faith and church and, and what God really cares about. Anybody who expects the church to be perfect needs to just admit that they actually have a realized eschatology without admitting it. Because nowhere in the Bible does it tell you that the church is going to be perfect before Jesus comes back. So nobody should be expecting a perfectly functional church. That doesn't excuse its dysfunctions, but it should tell us, look, you're going to have dysfunctions and disappointments, and that's part of what goes on. You know, remembering that the church is a hospital with all kinds of people in various levels of conditions, from, from the outpatient to the people that are in critical long-term care, to the emergency room, etc., and if that's what you've got, then you're in crisis management pretty much all the time, actually. People shouldn't be surprised about that. I'm hearing you, you know, kind of go through what Jesus talks about during his time on earth and kind of what he is expecting his followers to look like and stuff. Can you also get into a little bit about how Jesus ends up talking about his return as well? You do have the language about his appearing. That, of course, people interpret that in various ways. But what is clear is that whether you talk about Revelation, whether you're talking about what happened in Second Peter chapter 3, which is definitely a judgment text, or whether you're talking about the Olivet Discourse, or really chapters 24 and 25, at least, of the book of Matthew, you have the language about Jesus suddenly appearing. Not clear to us, I think, in the text, okay, what exactly that means, but somehow everybody's going to know. That, that's, I think, the one central reality. And it is true that what is clear about this appearing is that this appearing carries with it judgment. But as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this appearing of the day of the Lord, and this day of the Lord language that goes that we see in the book of Joel, for example, with this day of the Lord, it is judgment for those who live in darkness, but for those who live in the light, it's something that will not surprise you. I mean, it will surprise you to the extent that you don't know when it's going to happen, and then it finally does happen, so that kind of surprise, but not surprised as in like, I'm surprised while I got caught, you know, being evil. I'm surprised and now I'm happy at this great thing that's happening. So it's a great appearing for those who belong to God. And it is a judgment day for those that are not his. That's very, very clear. Really, in Second Thessalonians as well, you do have language about things being burned up. So this language in 2 Peter chapter 3, I think it's really important to be clear about this. It talks about the heavens and the clouds being burned up and everything in the earth being laid bare. I think it's important we talk about that kind of language, what's happening in this literally apocalyptic situation. Apocalyptic really just means revealing and what comes along with his appearing. And what comes along with his appearing is the judgment from which no one can escape. I think the big point in Second Peter chapter three is that when this judgment comes and everything is laid bare and everything, you know, all the clouds and stuff are burned away, there's nowhere to hide. It's really clear that now judgment is coming, but those who are with God are the people that are welcoming this. Final justice is coming. The new heavens and new earth is coming. The resurrection of Jesus 
when he tells Thomas to touch his body, it's not like, hey, Thomas, here's the new body that's completely new, a new invented body of mine. And the other body that I had has been completely obliterated. And now I've got a brand new one. That's not what happens. It is a transformed body in the same way that he has a transformed body. And that when we think about our resurrection, we expect there to be continuity with our bodies as it's changed. Similarly, when judgment comes and Jesus appears, you know, and he's coming to earth, the earth is going to be transformed. It's going to be renewed, like going through a refiner's fire, but it's going to be renewed. Yeah, I sometimes say it's not like blowing up the Death Star in, in Star Wars. It's refining, <laughs> you know, and, and now it comes forth as gold, so to speak. So those are the kinds of things that are happening there. Definite judgment, but those who are, who are waiting for him, it's like, finally, it's a great day. At last, it's like, do you know how long I've been waiting for this with all this evil and madness and craziness going on? Now it will get set right. So you can see, so in a way you can say, is the bringing of justice, which is applying justice towards the things that have gone wrong, but also the vindication of those that are his. So given that, I'm wondering if a lack of attention to Jesus's return is in some ways <laughs> a sign of ill health that we may be the subjects of judgment. But I'm wondering if also it can be an indication that maybe <laughs> maybe we may be on the wrong side a little bit. I'm just thinking about you know the, the, how much of this is or maybe connected to kind of upward mobility that as people become more you know financially secure, financially powerful, that they do tend to talk about the second coming less. And it does tend to be more people who are who have experienced oppression who talk a lot more about the coming of Jesus and especially the coming of judgment. I mean the you know black spirituals there's a lot of black spirituals about the return, you know, whether you're talking about the happy ones like my lord what a morning or you know but you know you also have you know judgment you know literally is a very common one and you know God's going to separate and all these kinds of things the pull among the kind of non-privileged toward the second coming, there seems to be this one pull of God's going to come and, and set things right. And then there's another pull that seems to be a pull for different folks on Jesus is going to come. And I just want, you know, just the just give me Jesus. Approach. Right. I'm right, curious what you've right. seen, what you've seen there. I think it's complicated by a couple of things. One is that, yes, there is the sense of people who are dealing with difficulty and suffering you know, come Lord Jesus, right? But I think there's also the fact of just the fact that there's other things in the Bible besides talking about that. And if that's mostly what you've talked about in your church, it's like you realize there's a lot else in the Bible to talk about in relationship to this. So it's important for people to learn those things as well. So how about we talk about those things, right? As opposed to talking about John 3.16 and, you know, Revelation 20 to 22 every week, right? That that's also part of it is saying, well, let's talk about everything that is here. I think there's also the fact that for some people, whether black church or elsewhere, there is a reaction to people only talking about the end in relationship to either evangelism or to people who are of a more sort of post-millennial bet, speeding his coming. There are people who say, well, but do we want to say anything about God caring about the present? And as a matter of fact, if you look at Matthew 25, which is an eschatological text, the people that are the sheep are the ones that paid attention to people in the present. 
So shouldn't we say something about those dimensions of mission? And so I think people wind up emphasizing that. I do think for some people, there is an inclination to not talk about judgment because when your life gets comfortable, you, you don't as readily long for Jesus to come and wrap everything up, which I think is also part of us is, is a failure of articulating eschatology as something other than a kind of escapism from whatever happens on earth. I think people need to understand that C.S. Lewis quote about God finds our, our desires not too strong, but too weak. By way of analogy, our imagination about what it means for Jesus to show up is too dim rather than too clear. Because I think there's this idea that, you know, all the great things that I can experience in my life here, the best restaurants, you know, if you're married, the greatest sexual experiences, if you're in business, like the greatest business successes, the greatest cultural experiences, there's so, so many delights of earthly life that people want to have that they think, well, I want to make sure I get enough of that before Jesus comes back. As if what's coming with Jesus is really boring. Okay, I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, I remember thinking about, okay, so are, is this going to be like church all day where we're just kind of like sitting and singing and stuff? I mean, I just, I, that, is that what eternal life is? When really eternal life is, you know, if you will, the most maximal human experience in the created order rather than a diminished experience. But if eschatology is primarily about judgment and then you're just kind of sitting there with God, then people think that I fear it's going to be boring because they don't understand the vision about this fulsome experience with God. And so in some ways, it's a dim vision of what it means to be before God. And it's a dim vision of what it means to be a fully transformed human in fellowship with God in this renewed heavens and earth. And so when you have that dim of a vision, then, yeah, people want, hey, let me, let me at least have some enjoyment now because I'm going to be just kind of like sitting and staring at God, you know, for eternity. Don't know how exciting that's going to be. So I think that that kind of diminished eschatological vision also plays a factor in people not talking about it. People probably go, oh, it's going to be a great day because there's no more pain and sorrow, but otherwise it's going to be kind of boring. It's failing to recognize how great God is and how great what God has planned for for those who are his when they are with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Our, our vision is too dim. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, A Bounty Hunter's Journey to Faith, Hope, and Redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying and... Sirens go off and they're and they're going on. Okay. 
based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November. It's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But hey, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. So, Vince... I would be interested in hearing what you have to say about why we should talk about the second coming more, especially in 2020 with a lot of the upheaval and obviously the pandemic that we've experienced this year. It's really important to talk about the second coming because one, if we want to talk about the entirety of the Bible, the entire narrative of the Bible, you have to include that. That alone is reason to do that, to remind ourselves of the totality of what we believe. Second, if we really want to be people of hope rather than people who are in a kind of prophetic discourse where we can describe the things that go wrong, but we are less, we're not giving as much attention to the dimension of hope as we are to describing what goes wrong. I think we we miss the fact that, look, it's not a new thing for the world to be disappointing and causing major distress. That goes back to Genesis 3. This is not a new thing. What we understand from what Scripture teaches is that this is not the end of the story. And the end of the story is when Jesus comes back. And we have to actually perhaps say that more, but it has to be said in a way that doesn't lead people to ignore the suffering and distress of the present, but that it frames the discussion of the distress and pain that people experience in the present. We, we really have to recast in certain ways how we're talking about the second coming so that it isn't seen as escapism from the present, but that it actually compels us to have greater hope and faithfulness in the present rather than just saying, okay, I'm just looking away and saying, I'm sitting here waiting for my ride to come uh, and I'll just whistle while the world burns. That's not the way that that we should be talking about the second coming. The second coming assures us that God's got this in the bag. But it also tells us, if we we look at it in the context where Scripture tells us, it also tells us to not be surprised that things can make us feel at moments like, you know, is this really all lost? Is anything going to get better? I admit that, because sometimes you might feel that way. That could be because of an immediate experience that a person is having, or that could be because of what you're looking at in terms of all the the latest versions of ways that humans are inhuman to each other in our country and elsewhere. We have to be honest about those things, but framing them by the fact that, well, yes, don't be surprised by this and admit it is hard, but also remember what's the greater truth. And the greater truth is that Christ is coming. We're also talking about a part of theology, as we've mentioned multiple times already in this conversation, that has historically invited lots of (laughs) speculation, some of it reckless at times, and other times just very seemingly preposterous. What are kind of some guidelines that you might suggest for us as if we're wanting to bring this up in conversation 
more, but maybe not be run away or throw away in our remarks about it. The first thing to remember is what Jesus said to the apostles. Here they are asking him, after hanging out with him for 40 days, which is a really nice thing, hey, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They wanted to know. And Jesus says, about that, I really can't tell you. I'm sorry. So he says, not for you to know, but what you can know is that the Spirit's coming and you'll be my witnesses. And I think that that kind of gives us direction right there, which is that give up the speculation. There are things that tell you, okay, these may give you a sense that he's coming. Wars and rumors of wars, etc. Well, we've had some big wars and he still hasn't returned. So we don't know which wars are the ones that are, are the wars to end all wars, so to speak, prior to his coming. We don't know. And I don't think that the point of us being told about that is so that we know exactly when it's going to happen, but rather that we are to live with expectation regardless. Rather than speculation, how do we help people to live with expectation? Again, not expectation in a way that leads us to ignore the challenges of the present, but also to understand that to some degree, no matter how be- how much we can improve things in terms of the world, it will never be improved in a way that brings about the fullness of the kingdom of God until Jesus himself returns. We have to be careful about being so sure that what we see happening somewhere historically is telling us that this is the sign of the end. If Jesus said nobody can know, nobody should act like, well, actually, I know he said that, but then there's all this other stuff. And I'm really good at kind of weaving these things together. And so I can tell you when it's likely to happen. It's just a bad idea that there's a really horrible track record with that. (laughs) Right. No one knows the day or the hour, but I know the month and the year. It's really best to just ignore that. And perhaps if, if, if one is feeling inclined towards speculation and thinking about articulating versions of a certain anticipation about the coming of Jesus, uh, it's better to say, how is that anticipation orienting me towards fidelity to God in the present, as well as joyful expectation until he shows up? I think that's a better way of thinking about it instead of thinking about how I can become the next person that sets themselves up for embarrassment by predictions. It's, it's, it's so easy to be cynical or you know condescending towards Harold Camping or someone like that in those moments. And I don't want to be that person. I want to try to have more compassion for them. There's a space to say, well, it's really not advisable to do these kinds of things. If somebody's dead set on that, then we need to be ready to care for them when their prediction doesn't come true, rather than to just criticize them when it doesn't come true. I'm not saying that there's obviously they deserve the criticism in a way, but the criticism doesn't give me a right to have a posture of condescension toward them. And I think that it, it's easy. It's a great temptation to have a, a posture of condescension towards someone. I mean, it's like you put all these billboards, you all these people going all around the country doing this. It's incredible. But I still need to try to respond with a compassionate critique rather than a condescending one. Well, thank you so much, Vince, for giving us some stuff to chew on and think over with regards to the second coming. And given (laughs) what we've said about the topic, perhaps for our listeners out there, there are strong opinions to be had. Maybe we found some people who are thinking about this a lot. If so, send us an email. We are at podcasts with an S at christianneedtoday.com. 
We are also on Twitter at CT Podcasts. And we mentioned a couple times this Advent devotional, which Vince has written for for a couple entries in actually this week. So, and he wrote on this very subject. So if you would like to read those devotionals, you can go online to morect.com slash advent online. You can read our devotional there. If you are trying to buy the digital package slash PDF that we have, that is at morect.com slash advent. Now is the time on Quick to Listen when we do Slow to Speak, which is our too cute name for uh, letters <laughs> and feedback. No, no Precious like Moments it. really is the too cute one. That's true, but it's not part of the verse. All right, this first one. Thank you for the very thoughtful and timely Quick to Listen episode on, quote, confronting the darkness in a year full of death. I don't think there's been a time in human history where an entire society has done a better job of denying and flat out ignoring what is obviously the end of all mankind. However, there's one issue I would like to take up with you concerning the podcast episode. Before you started the subject for the day, all three participants began by whining about how you're all, quote, so over Halloween decorations <laughs> and those displaying them. You hate orange lights? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the next line. I'm sorry, but in the midst of a year full of death, I suggest strongly that you climb down off your high hobby horses and give the people that are beat down in every way a chance to have a little fun and enjoy themselves even just for a moment. Thanks for the timely reporting on many serious issues we're facing today, but when it comes to those of us that are just looking for an excuse to enjoy a moment of harmless fun, please get over yourselves. God bless you all, Nick Hyde. No, I actually I like some Halloween decorations. I still I still hate orange lights. I could get all super Anglican and talk about like how we shouldn't be doing Christmas decorations in the season of Advent. No, but we have our tree up. I've got my lights up. I'm not going to go there. So I'm glad that you're it. human, Ted. <laughs> also, I don't remember saying that I hated orange lights. No, I said I hate, hate orange lights. I I do not like. Halloween decorations that mimic Christmas decorations. But, you know, we had our pumpkins out. We had our jack-o'-lanterns. We did, we did Halloween decorations. But, Only uh, candles in the pumpkins. <laughs> that's right. Okay, next one. Hi, CT Podcast folks. I wanted to give some feedback on the Quick to Listen podcast and offer my thanks, as it's one of the best things I listen to every week. Morgan and Ted and Co. so consistently and thoughtfully approach what's going on in the world, and I really appreciate it. My best friend and I both listen and frequently talk about how an episode went in a direction we didn't expect, and we found out all kinds of things about the topic or new ideas to consider. It's one of the only places where I feel I can hear Christians speak with about everything from QAnon to COVID to sexual abuse to what's happening with churches around the globe. I feel like Morgan in particular has a gift for asking good questions and being objective, but directing conversations in an interesting way. Thank you. My one request is for a bonus episode all about baseball. As a millennial woman who is also obsessed with the sport, I'm so happy when I hear Morgan mention things going on in MLB regularly. Many thanks, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea. I have been trying to think about how that podcast would work and if that would happen. Obviously, I would like to talk about baseball for an hour, and I regularly do. I just don't have it as part of my job. But I appreciate <laughs> that you like it when... Things that have happened in MLB become my precious moments or get blurted out by me on Twitter. So it's nice to hear it. If anyone else wants to validate me in that way, I would welcome that too because sometimes you just feel like you're screaming out in the wind when you're a sports fan. Ted, 
Next question. I just wanted to thank you for your recent episode, How Faith Issues May Shape a Biden Presidency. I realize that our faith or lack of faith shapes how we live and view the world. So I'm hopeful that Biden's faith will shape his policies for our country. While I'm not Catholic, nor do I agree with all of Biden's political positions, I do feel his Christianity is a big part of who he is and will translate into his actions. Thank you again for your great podcasts. From John Nodestein. Thanks, John. All right. Morgan and Ted, thanks for taking the approach of formation and thinking about walking through this season. This episode was called Spiritual Formation as COVID-19 Gets More Depressing. As a hospital chaplain who kept working while everyone else stayed home and who has seen COVID and other deaths while others deny the reality of the disease, I needed to hear an understanding of the challenge and value of disciplines. I was teaching a grad school course in spiritual formation when this hit in March and struggled to be able to sustain the class. The wait was almost too much. I'm teaching it again in March 2021 and will likely retool the class to acknowledge the burden that has always been part of the body. For example, Cyprian. My own response this year was to create an Advent journal rather than an Advent devotional. We need to be able to reflect on what we've walked through rather than simply read more words to process. I often listen to you, you too, while running. You help me think well. Thank you. Peace. From John. Thank you, John, for sharing that. And thank you for all the work that you've been doing working as a hospital chaplain. I truly can't imagine how intense that has really been and probably has continued to be as stuff has really accelerated and heightened during the past couple of weeks. So I hope that your Advent Journal serves you well. To all involved with Quick to Listen, I have been listening for a few years now and slowly listening to all those I missed before my initial discovery. I'm in my late 40s and live in a somewhat rural area, and I do not use social media. So my introduction to Carl Lentz came through this podcast, and I'm pretty sure my circle of friends are also unaware of this, quote, hipster pastor. So thanks for the introduction. My thanks to the Quick to Listen team is that a topic I basically knew nothing about and have no real interest in became an interest as I listened. The interest in this episode and in many others is not in the momentary details, such as Carl Lentz's wardrobe, but in your presentation (laughs) of the larger topic. The big picture is always a needed view in our quick-to-react culture. Morgan may have mentioned, but I hear she is moving to Hawaii. Will she still be on the show? I started with Morgan and Mark Galley and have enjoyed the transition to Ted Olson. Corey from Maryland. Yes, Morgan is moving to Hawaii, and yes, we are going to make her tape it from there. So the time difference notwithstanding, Morgan's going to stick around as co-host and producer. And hopefully with as much verve in my voice <laughs> as I have. Kona coffee is a pretty good deal. Okay. I, I think I will be taping many times while it's still dark outside. People will be thinking about what I will be looking outside my window at, and it will be just the pitch black parking lot or something like that. That is what you can expect, guys, when I move to Hawaii. Last letter. Hi, Morgan. I enjoyed this episode a great deal. She is also talking about the COVID episode. Once we got past the complaining about how hard times are and how COVID has interrupted our lives. I'm an orphan. I'm single. I have no children. I'm an introvert. And as someone in my seventh decade, I don't have a lot of friends. For me, the holidays are something to hurry up and get over with more than this rumored time of family cheer and joy. To make it worse, the evangelical church's love affair with Trump has left me bewildered at best and disgusted at worst. I haven't been to church since he got elected because frankly, as a woman of color, I'm not interested in worshiping God with people who support a documented misogynistic, racist, authoritarian narcissist. So the words of Chris Hall on this week's podcast were a welcome balm to me. It seems the main point of his interview is this. Instead of complaining about what one doesn't have, be grateful for what one does have. 
If we believe the Bible, that aren't things supposed to be wretched and getting more so in these last days? If Christ is returning for his church, I believe for one he is, shouldn't we expect tribulation like never before? This is just the beginning of sorrows, I would think. Doesn't it follow that Christ is the one that we should be pressing into like never before? These hard times are exposing us for the beginners we are. We don't seem to have much staying power. I'm going to take the hint and read further about the early church. Now, those guys knew how to suffer because I know there's a lot to learn there. Stay healthy and calm. I thank Jesus for your podcast from Linda. Thank you, Linda. And Thank you, Linda. I hope that this podcast did offer you something that we just recorded right now. We have some really good listeners, don't we? We do. We And we appreciate the letters that we get and the tweets, and we take them to heart. theme here was, <laughs> don't complain so much in your gut checks. Maybe we'll take that into consideration. If you want to send us a letter, we'd love to read it. It is at podcasts at christianitytoday.com. All right. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, when everyone has a chance to share something that has recently brought them joy. Ted, I'm assuming it's going to be something that happened last week. (laughs) It is. I did play a number of board games last week, which was great. I could talk about parks, but I'll I'll save that for another week. Parks is a great National Parks-themed board game. But what probably brought me the most joy this last week was to share with podcast listeners is that you know every week my my daughter has been doing her e-learning nearby and has heard me recording this podcast and has talked about how I I say and I'm Ted Olson editorial director of Christianity Today in the same tone of voice <laughs> and she's been saying like hey I want to make a podcast and so she's been talking about a podcast she might make with her friends and then she's like let's make a podcast so she and I made a podcast pilot episode on Thanksgiving about food it was great. It was so fun to make a podcast with her, to just to have a project together of you know learning about the difference between pumpkin pie and apple pie. Yeah, we, it was it was it was just a great a great fun time. What I'm not was gonna, your podcast called? Podcast we called it Eat the Earth. It is not <laughs> uh, on an RSS feed for public consumption. It was just sent to family and friends. She says she wants to either be a food critic when she grows up or a scientist who works on saving the earth. And so we did a uh, podcast that is both of those things where we look at, we take a food and talk about how it tasted and then how good it is for us health-wise and then how good it is for us environmentally. That's like a legit podcast. It's not just talking in front of a microphone. (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't two folks on a mic podcast. It was, we we did some, we did some reporting, we did some investigation for the pod. So it was, it was really fun. It was a great, you know, couple day project there on social I'm on Twitter at Ted Olson and blissfully off of Twitter for the Thanksgiving week. Uh, Morgan, how about you? My precious moment is going to the library. I feel like I've talked about the library before, how I really love the library, but also I constantly don't turn books in on time. And they do not have fines anymore at the library, but if you don't return stuff on time, they will eventually charge you like for the book for like if it's missing and then if you return it then they you don't owe them anything but you do have to return it so anyway for whatever reason i had not returned a lot of books and i made myself return a bunch of books last week on thanksgiving and then i didn't think they were going to have all the books checked back in on time because of the pandemic they're trying to i don't know give the books some space to breathe i guess the long story short was that i went to the library on saturday and i was like i really hope they let me check out stuff anyway 
So I went there and they did let me check out stuff anyway. And I got books that I actually wanted to read. I'd read one of them on Sunday and I'm reading one of them right now, which is great because I also realized that sometimes I just don't read because I don't like what I have to read <laughs> as opposed to just getting books that I am interested in reading. I was also with my friend who lived, I don't know, three blocks away from this library and she didn't even have a library card and I helped her get a library card, which also made me happy because I want everyone to go to the library. Shout out to the library. Shout out to the library. Yes, we love libraries. I bet most quick-to-listen listeners also love libraries for that kind of pod. I think I'm just like, I'll just say one thing, which is that like there's a huge group of people out there that like buying books, and I am distinctly not part of that group. <laughs> I'm always like, but libraries exist, which is my favorite thing about them, is that I can just always have room for new books. So that is also the reason I'm thankful for them as well. Oh, yeah. And being an editor at Christianity Today where you get so many review copies is also has spoiled me. Those days when I really get frustrated with my job, I think I could leave. And then one of the immediate thoughts that come to mind is, but all those books, all those books. <laughs> <laughs> they got you. They figured they you me. out. They've, they've got me. I can never leave. Vince, there you go. Uh, speaking of new books, you, got, you have a new book out, but what, what has been bringing you uh, joy this week? The fact that you basically talked about being a Christian today, like the Hotel California is kind of funny with you can never leave, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can check it anytime you want. You can never leave. Among the things, I guess, Thanksgiving was a first for us because my daughters, who are a freshman and a senior at Whedon, they did most of the cooking. So that was a first for our family, and it went really well. Not that they'd never cooked before, but first doing the holiday type of thing. I mean, there were some, there were a couple of items that we ordered out, but they cooked a lot of other things. Vince, whose idea was this? Their idea? Oh, it was or? their idea. Okay, cool. It was, it was not, okay, we're doing this local Thanksgiving thing. So, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, your mother and I have worked a lot over the years. So, that, you know, it wasn't one of those things. It was, they were enthusiastic about it. So it was, it was great. My, my youngest daughter is probably the most enthusiastic of the two, I think, about cooking. I mean, they both like doing it, but one of our pandemic blessings in general has been the way that my youngest really started getting into cooking. So this was sort of a, a culmination of that. And another dimension of that also, by the way, is that a pandemic thing that happened that, that we resumed was our family commitment to watching K-dramas on, on Netflix. K-dramas have taken over the Baycoat household. K-pop and K-dramas have taken over. All right. So do you want to recommend a K-drama for it? Oh, listeners? wow. Oh, my. Oh, my. If you're going to start with something, right? I mean, to, for us, you know, the, the one to rule them all right now is crash landing on you. We, we make references to each other just from like little phrases from the show and laugh. That's great. Similar to the way that we sometimes, my wife and I would do that about Seinfeld. But now it's, but now it's K-pop and oh, no, it's both. Okay. It's both. But, but my, my daughters are the ones that, that are biggest K-pop aficionados. I mean, you know, I'm just kind of along for the ride. Vince, where can people find you online? Are you on Twitter? At VBaycoat on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I also have a speaker page on Facebook, Vincent Baycoat, author, speaker. Please you know, connect and follow there. And I have a website, www.vincentbaycoat.com, where there are clips of, well, there's actual whole talks on there, as well as connections to things I've written. So those are, are, are ways to connect with me. 
for those who have a significant book budget, I invite you to purchase my latest publication, Reckoning with Race and Performing the Good News. And because it's not a cheap book, if you do not have a significant book budget, or rather if there, if you want to buy several books rather than one, then I recommend that you encourage all of your librarian friends to go to the Brill website to purchase the book. And just so people know, he spells his last name B-A-C-O-T-E. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. It's produced by myself and Matt Lindor. Gunia Shola does the transcript, and the music is done by Sweeps. As always, we do invite you, if you would like, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can get the podcast wherever you want to address specific episodes and talk to us about what you agreed with or didn't agree with or wish we talked about more about in this episode. Send us an email. We are at podcast at christianitytoday.com. And once again, if you would like to participate in this Advent devotional series that we're doing, go to morect.com slash Advent online. We will see you all next week. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?